Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Joshua chapter 5. It's a text I've chosen for this morning, and uh, typically um, I'll pick a passage and and just exegete it and kind of stick to uh, the text, but this is my last sermon, so I'm going to ask for a little bit of grace and freedom um, to kind of look at the bigger picture here that is happening and uh, try to address some of the, the change that is happening. And so... Joshua chapter 5, um, let me read it and let me, then let me explain why I chose this text because you're going to listen going, what in the world? As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the water of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilberth Hamath. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the male men of war who died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt, though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their place in the camp until they were healed. Yeah, no kidding. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after Passover, on the very day, They ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and he said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face uh, to the earth and worshiped him and said to him, what does my Lord say of his servant? Notice we've just been reading through Revelation. Notice he says, don't worship me. And so this is, seems very clearly from the text, Jesus here is the man with the sword. And he says, and the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Um, why did I pick this passage? There's a transition taking place with Israel, and it's kind of coming to fruition here in Joshua chapter 5, although it's not complete yet. And I want to talk about the difference between change and transition. And I want to make a distinction here, um, and maybe you don't in your mind, but just for the purpose of this, just kind of uh, work with me a little bit. There's a difference. Change can happen, but transition is different. Uh, For instance, uh, some of you stood before a pastor at one point in time, and the pastor said... 
I pronounce to you for the first time, I introduce to you for the first time, Mr. and Mrs. A change took place. But those of you who have been married know that the transition, that took a little bit longer. Some of you have gone through an empty nest, right? The kids have all flown the coop, if you will. And you know, over the years of being a pastor, I've seen families that have done that well and families that have not done well with that. In other words, the change happened, but the proper transition did not happen, and it's unhealthy. Maybe some of you have worked for a, a company or a business at some point where somebody uh, worked on the floor or whatever, whatever the, they're making the widgets, and they did a really good job at it. They were really good at whatever the widget making was going, and so management pr promoted them to management, and the change happened, but the transition did not. And you all paid the price for that. See, change can, can happen, but if we don't transition well, we have a problem. And so how did we get here? In the text. Go back to the text. I'm not talking about the church here. You know, this all started in Genesis chapter 12. When God said, hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. And your descendants are going to be more than the sand of the sea. And, and Abraham had a little conversation with God. We have a little bit of a problem, okay? Don't have any descendants yet, right? But all the way from Genesis chapter 12, really, actually through 1 Kings chapter 4, when Solomon is king, and it's announced that Israel numbered the sands of the sea. This whole big story is, is a meta story, a large story in the Bible, not about transition, but how God delivers. And it's referred to in the New Testament. It's supposed to be a pattern for us to follow. Remember, Jesus is called the Passover lamb. When he is uh, at the Mount of Transfiguration, um, it says that Jesus, with the, the two people there, right? It says they discussed, and, and the Greek word is actually, they discussed his exodus. And so this story is this meta story of how God delivers. And over the years, I've used this story as, uh, in counseling. Uh, it came from a book um, on counseling, and I've used the Exodus story. Um, and then over the years, teaching at Corbin, I've added to it. And I'm going to share some of this transition with you in a second. And um, I've used it as like, people come in and maybe they have an addiction. And I said, let's look at what a deliverance looks like. Or people are having a marriage issue. Let's look at what a deliverance looks like. And so I've used this pattern over and over again. And it really goes all the way back to the Exodus story. So, it's a new day, and I want to talk about the difference between change and transition. And so, three things. First, this. Change is easy. Uh, transition, whoops, I'm going the wrong way. Transition is hard. Now, change isn't always easy, but oftentimes, the actual change part, that's, that's easy. The name has changed. The job title has changed. The final move, the kids are out, it's, it's done. Okay, a change is going to take place this week. The hard part was moving a lot of books out of my office. That change has happened, mostly. But the transition before us is hard. And so there's, there's ten phases or different things that happen uh, in this meta story of the Bible that I think is helpful to us. And the first is, if you remember the story, God said, I'm going to give you this land, and, and God 
gives Abraham a son, Isaac, and Isaac has uh, two sons, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob has 12 sons that become the 12 sons of Israel, and they end up in Egypt. At first, it's kind of an okay situation, but later, they end up in slavery in Egypt. Here's the nation of God, not in the promised land, but in Egypt in slavery. And so the first thing that Israel does when they realize that there's a change that needs to happen is that they cry out to God. And that's where we started as a church, and Dr. Downs led us in this and brought Dennis Fouquet here, and some of you are going through the study. We, we focused on prayer. How do, we, how do we pray better? How do we learn to, to cry out to God? How do we, how do we learn to, to seek God? And so the first thing that happens is when we come to a situation where we realize that we're stuck or we realize there's a problem or we realize that a change is happening, the very first thing we need to do is cry out to God. Pretty good plan so far, right? Pretty simple. One of the things that we learn as we look at the meta story, as we look at the bigger story, is that God was already working, right? God already knew where they were going, right? He already promised them the promised land. And even in Exodus chapters 1 and 2, we start to have this story about Moses, which, you know, we all, those of us who grew up in the church, we're like, we know the story and, you know, and the basket and, and all the babies and all that kind of stuff. But what we see in that is that God was already working a deliverer out before the people cried out to God. And so one of the things that we want to recognize that I want to say to you Hillsborough First Baptist Church, is that God is working behind the scenes. This transition was no surprise to God. This change is no surprise to God. And God has already been working. God's been working in your life. God's been working in my life. We don't have all the pictures of that, but God has been working. And that's why Pastor Frank gets up here and, and he's praying and he's using the word sovereign over and over again because what he's trying to say to you as a church is we recognize that God is working. God is working behind the scenes. And you know what? I would rather he give a little bit better roadmap. Okay? I would love to have one of those visions where God says, here's what's going to, I don't know, maybe it'd probably freak out. I don't know. I, but I would love to know what that, but God doesn't always do that, but we do know that he's working. And so we cry out to God and we trust that he's working behind the scenes and we see that in the calling of Moses. And here's probably the hardest part of the story. If you only hear one thing today, this is probably what you need to hear. As you look at the story, and I've said this over and over in my office, it's always so well received. When we look at the story of deliverance, you're stuck, crying out to God. Pastor, I'm already there. I've been crying out to God. Good, good. We're on the right path. God's working behind the scenes. Ah, oh, it's so good to hear. But for those of you who remember the story, Moses comes back. He's seen the, he's had his moment of taking off his shoes, which Joshua had that we just read. And he comes back and he faces Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, good. Lord bless you and keep you. And has it? No, that's not what happened, right? You know what happens next? Things get worse before they get better. Pharaoh says, no, you're not going anywhere. And now you need to make bricks and I'm not giving you the straw. I, I just, I've been a pastor long enough that when people come into my office and they say, Dave, I hit rock bottom. I go, time out. And they say, it couldn't get any worse. And I go, just rather you not say that. Things often get worse before it gets better. And think about all the changes that you've made in your life over the years. I don't know, it's dieting or job change. I mean, it sounds really good at first. But things often get worse before it gets better. And in the midst of this, uh, other things are going on. And I, I love, and 
Um, just one passage. I'm, I'm trying not to read all these passages because we would take forever. But in Exodus chapter 6, things get, in Exodus chapter 5, things get worse before they get better. And then um, God, God speaks to the people through Moses, and he, he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the east. Look, I'm going to do it. I'm about to do a great work. I'm going to do all this for you. And you just think the people would get just a big amen. But in verse 9, it says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. God promises to deliver. God promises deliverance. But we often have a hard time hearing it because of our hard heart. Because of our struggles. And the reality is, is we can't see beyond our own noses. We're so wrapped up in the, the difficulty of our story that we forget God's bigger story. Now the next thing that happens in the Exodus story, and many of you know this, is the ten plagues. And this is where we usually like to jump in the story and teach these to our kids because they involve frogs and, and locusts and all sorts of things and boils and you can usually keep our kids' attention. And, but, but here's what I, I really believe, and I've taught this before and, and you've heard this before, but I really believe what's happening in that story is that God is fighting against the gods, little g, of Israel, of, of, of Egypt, that Israel's kind of adopted. And what God does in the process of delivery, deliverance is he's got to break the idols of your heart the things that you've put as more important than God. And so we need to realize that God is going to have to fight against some of the gods, little g, in our life. And look, I've been your pastor for 12 years. There's some little g's around here. There's some little idols, things that we just think are so, so important that aren't. And God is going to keep fighting against those. At the last plague, the angel of death is coming. And the only way of salvation is the blood of the lamb. The blood of the Passover lamb. And so in the middle of the story, we have Passover. It was celebrated again in Joshua chapter 5. It's celebrated uh, here in... Um, in Exodus, uh, the end there, about eight or nine, I forgot to, I didn't write it down. The Passover. And, and what I would like you to do is just circle that. This is the center of the story. It's the gospel story. That you and I can't save ourselves. That we are saved only by the blood of the Lamb. What's become really popular today in preaching and teaching, and I hope I have never done it, is to portray Jesus as our helper. Jesus helps us be better. Jesus helps us be more successful. Jesus helps us in our marriage. Make no mistake, Jesus is our Savior. He saves us. If Jesus doesn't intervene, if the blood is not shed, we're doomed. And so this is the gospel story. What's interesting to me 
and I'm, I'm just, you know, I always, every time I look at the story, I get something new. Um, in Exodus, there's a Passover, and then there's a river crossing. In Joshua chapter 5, there's a river crossing, and then there's a Passover. There's bookends there. That's why I chose that passage. And so there's this, this bookends of the Passover, and, and the Passover is the center. Okay? That's why Jesus is called the Passover lamb. It, this is the gospel. Now, it's, it's, it's not revealed fully in Exodus. It becomes revealed more, especially when John says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We're like, oh, that meant something. So we have this, but the gospel, it has to be the center. That, that's what it's about. Now, interesting enough, a change takes place next. They cross over a river. They were slaves, and now they're free. Woo-hoo! Okay? But the story doesn't end there. And, and if those of you who've heard this passage preached before, you know the, the, the old story. It's been around forever and ever. Getting the people out of Egypt was the easy part. Getting Egypt out of the people. Right? So there's a change that takes place. Great. But the transition didn't happen. It's just a change. Change of address. Change of identity. Change of kingdoms. The next thing that we find is they come to a place and they don't have any water. And they are so ready to kill Moses and go back to Egypt. Which, by the way, would not have been received very well. So, for you and for me, I really mean this, for you and for me, we have to realize that the next phase of this transition will include testing. We'll be tested. In fact, we get to the book of Numbers. Uh, it's a really interesting passage. Uh, God speaking said, I tested you these ten times in the wilderness. And the reader has to go, ooh, I have to go back and find the ten times. That's a whole other sermon. Teach it at Corbin. I'm not going to teach it today. But the idea is that he tested whether they're going to trust in his provision, they were going to test in his protection, they were going to trust in his position. I mean, there's all these things. It's like, are you going to trust me as God? So there's testing. And when the testing happens, our temptation is we want to go back. I don't like the test. I don't like the wilderness. So I want to go back to the way the things were before, which was not a good situation. There's more than one time, even at the end of Moses' career, there's more than one time where the, the people want to rise up and kill Moses and Aaron and go back to Egypt. And here's the amazing thing. When life gets hard, we will often choose voluntary slavery. I will voluntarily go back. Because of what I, I, at least I knew that. I, I knew what that was like. And I, I know as a church, there's a hundred and I think we, it's 139 now. I've been saying 138. I think last few months ago we turned 139. There's a lot of history. And people love to go back and celebrate it and talk about it. And when we did the, the big uh, church uh, assessment, I was in some of the meetings, and the people would ask, 
What are some things that you've done? And, and pe- we were putting stuff on the whiteboard. I was in a meeting. We were putting all the stuff on the whiteboard. And then you, it was all exciting. And the guy's like, oh, this is really exciting. When did this happen? 1980. I want to go back. I want to go back to 1980. Guess what? I've seen some of you. not going to make it back. But if we keep pressing forward, and note in the story, it's a whole other generation. That's what Joshua, the, 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 the generation that crossed the river doesn't get to cross the other river. It's just two people, two families, Joshua and Caleb. They cross. And the transition does eventually take place. But even within our story, we see that the transition takes place, but the people still find new ways to corrupt themselves, don't they? Man, if you need a reminder, just read Judges. Oh, gosh, what a depressing book. It's just the downward spiral. Change is easy. Transition is hard, and it's a process. And so sometimes you need to stop and check and see where you're in the process. Do we need to cry out to God more? Do we need to realize that we're being tested? Do we need to to be more Passover gospel centers where gospel meets life? The second thing in this story, Joshua chapter 5, I'd say oftentimes change is neutral. Uh, We change a job. Um, it's, it's, neither more, it's not a moral issue usually, right? We, just, we, we change a job or we, maybe we buy a different home, we change a home or a different town. Uh, even church sometimes, it may not be a moral, it's, just, it's, it's, it's neutral often, not always, but often. But good transition honors God. And I, I think we have in Joshua chapter 5, I think we have a good beginning of a transition. I mean, they're crossing over the river, they're, they're making a change, uh, they're taking care of some business. And, um, and, and they're heading out on a new mission. It's a good transition. And I, I would say that the difference that between change and transition is that good transitions are planned. There's a lot of planning that goes into it. And, and oftentimes what I find, like some of the transitions that we don't make very well, and I'll just use empty nest because this is kind of the crowd here. It's like sometimes we don't think through what that actually means, what it means for our kids to actually be adults and be responsible for themselves and what time it, that we let go of them. And because we don't plan for it, we make the transition difficult. And you know, the reality is, look, folks, good transitions, they encounter battles. We, we have this wrong thought in the church that if everything, if something is hard, then it must be bad. It's not true. And you know what, it... Think about the stories, the narratives that we enjoy in life. What are, what are they? They're about overcoming difficulties, battles, right? The Lord of the Rings. I mean, he doesn't just walk into Mordor and get rid of the ring. I mean, if, that, if it was like one chapter, got the ring, got rid of the ring. No, it, three books. Man, they encounter so many. Star Wars. Sorry, but I mean, didn't we beat this guy already? Well, he's still there. I mean, the Chronicles of Narnia. It's about, 
And, and you hear things, C.S. Lewis, the, the, the characters he chose for the heroes in Chronicles of Narnia are not 30-year-old men. He chose children. Why? Because he's telling us something about ourselves. You're the child in the story that's living the narrative of winning the battle for the glory of God. And so I'm just going to tell you, in my life, in your life, there's battles ahead. And if they're not, it's a terrible story. You don't want to be a part of it. If it's all tea and crumpets, then just go home. I don't even know what a crumpet is. Like an English muffin, right? But denser, I think. Hey. And good transitions include everyone. I love this part of the story. And, uh, and it's the only time that we get to do this as men because it usually goes the other direction. Um, but it says in verse 8, when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished. It's like a man after, just right after his child was born calling his mom and said, we had a baby. We had a baby? Really? The whole nation was circumcised? Well, not quite. Why does he say that? Because they went through it as a community. It was a community commitment. It was a community thing. Folks, if you make a change or you make a transition and you don't turn the corner with everybody, you haven't made a good transition. Um, it's the whole nation. So change is easy. Transition is hard. Change is often neutral, good transition when it's planned, when we get through the battles, when we include everybody, it honors God. Good change, again, it often just happens, but transition hurts. Um, you know, I'm no general, but I can tell you this is a really poor military plan. You don't cross over into enemy territory and then take your entire fighting army and lay them up for three days. It's a bad plan. Okay? They are absolutely vulnerable. And oftentimes in the Bible, the transitions that God puts before us, they hurt. They, they're difficult. And so what does this circumcision represent? What is important about it? The people had a renewed commitment to the covenant, to God's promises. Look, this is, this is a covenant symbol, and they are saying, look, we are, we are, we are re-upping, we are recommitting to, we are being reminded of this commitment that I have between this nation and God. And there is no better time as a church than right now to be committed fully to the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's called us to do. This is, it has to be, centered at our commitment to the gospel. And it's also a renewed commitment to community. Community. 
Sorry, I hear it over and over and over and over again. There are groups. There's groups. We won't get there until we're a community, until we're a group. I heard it again this morning. Now, it would be really nice if the story ended with them having a Passover meal and the Lord with his sword went and took out the promised land. But that's not what happens next. Joshua goes into Jericho and the walls come down with trumpets. Pretty cool. But the next time, it's with swords. And so the people had a renewed commitment to the covenant. They had a renewed commitment to community. And they have to have a renewed commitment to conquer and do what God has said to do. And as a church, we have to have a renewed commitment to preaching the gospel, to loving God, and to loving people. It's a process. And my hope and prayer for you is that this would not just be a pastoral change but it would be a good transition for you and for us. I leave you with a few application points. Take them um, with the heart that they're intended as just to be an encouragement, not an indictment, but just a reminder. Um, And that would be this. First of all, I would encourage you to spend more time envisioning the future and less time celebrating the past. The past is past. Tomorrow is pressing upon us. We need to have a future, a plan for the future, a plan of transition. And so I would encourage you, it doesn't mean that we don't celebrate the past, of course we celebrate the past. But one is easier than the other. One comes more naturally, especially in an older church. Second, I would encourage you to let go of the hurts of the past and lean into the promises of the future. Oops. Um, Some of you have shared, and already we've received just um, lots of encouragement and thank yous um, for whatever teaching role that I've played, whatever, in the last 12 years, and we appreciate that. Thank you for that. Um, I'm sure over the 12 years I've said something that that have bent you, bended you, hurt you. Um, And so I would encourage you as of today, when you leave this building, that you let go of whatever those hurts are. They will not serve you well with your next pastor because they don't have anything to do with him. I would encourage you um, if you haven't come to me and asked for forgiveness or, or sought my forgiveness or whatever, or what, uh, me, you know, fixing it, whatever. I mean, if we haven't done it now, let's, let's just let it go. I remember one time a teacher said to me, uh, he said to the class, we're taking a test. He said, look, he said, uh, I, I guess it had happened to him. It was at seminary. And he said, if you cheat, you know, later on and you feel guilty about it, um, don't write me. I don't want to hear about it. Um, just, just seek God's forgiveness and move on. 
Like just thinking, I, what an interesting part as a seminary professor getting letters over the years, I cheated on your exam. 1942, it's been eating me alive. Whatever the hurts are, let's let them go. And, uh, and let's look to the promises of the future. Here's the thing, if you're struggling, and uh, it's funny, we're calling this a celebration, and that can mean different things. Woohoo, he's gone. Um, or woohoo, we're going to miss you, I don't know. But if, if you're in the woohoo, he's gone category, um, just remember, um, if you're a believer and I'm a believer, we're spending like a lot of time together later on. <laughs> a really long time. So you might want to get over it. <laughs> and the last thing I would leave you with is um, I would encourage you to be more driven by the gospel and less by the church. And I'm not saying that you aren't driven by one or the other. Church is a bunch of traditions in a ways that we've done things. And every generation's done it a little bit differently. Every generation is, is it's just different. But the gospel remains the same. And as long as Hillsborough First Baptist Church is driven by the gospel, it will be a church that will last. Let's pray. Father God, um, thank you for your love and your grace and your word. Uh, thank you for 12 years and thank you for um, many who have encouraged and helped and blessed us over the years and uh, too many to think and to count and to, to recount. We thank you. Um, but we give you the glory. I pray that Hillsborough First Baptist Church would transition well for the glory of God and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.